going to ask you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to Proverbs chapter 3. That's our Old Testament reading, Proverbs 3, 1 through 8, then 13 through 18, and then we'll go back to Romans chapter 12. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life. In peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to you, healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are always, are always ways of plentiness, and her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who, those who hold fast are called blessed. And now over to Romans chapter 12. Thought we'd kind of get through these sections real fast. It's not happening, but it's okay. It's okay. It's the, the Lord is blessing us even at this. I'm going to read, uh, verses 12 through 16, uh, once again this, uh, this morning. Wait, I'm sorry. Nine through 16. Uh, this morning. Nine through seventeen. I'm listening. Sorry, guys. Paul says this. Let your love be genuine, Christian. This is marks of true Christians. This is who we are in Christ. Just remember this. It's not something that we muster up. It's not something that we try to do. This is what this is who we are. So this is just the expectation of what it means to be a Christian who's been justified, who's been saved, who's been redeemed, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. You outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light, out of that old life that we were into, where we were just trying to figure out who we were, what our purpose was, where our identity lies in. Lord, you, you, you've rescued us from that. You've given us hope, meaning, purpose, identity in Jesus Christ, showing us, knowing that we were sinners, that we were re- re- rebelling against you, Lord God, and against your precious word. You opened our eyes. You've changed our hearts. You've given us life in Christ. And so we walk in that newness of life. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would do just that, that we'd be, we would be intent in our sanctification to be more and more like Christ, to put off that old person, that old man, and put on the new man in Christ Jesus. So help us, Lord. Help us to understand your word. Help us to be engaged. Help us to be convicted, encouraged, challenged all at the same time, Lord God, that we might live lives that are pleasing to you, more pleasing to you, more dependence upon you, moment by moment, as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, last week we did one verse, um, and that 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 sermon seemed to resonate with a, with quite a few of you, and that's always good. Oh man, all oh, that every week would be like that, but alas, can't have that all the time. Uh, it keeps you humble. Um, but we are going to consider one verse this morning as well. We're getting through. Next next time, Lord willing, we'll, we'll have a big chunk. But we just again have to to, to stop and pause on this one particular verse. Um, because it speaks to the fact of who we are. Because we're living in a day where where everything's about me in, in this world, especially with the Gen Xers, but everybody actually. You know, the, all about my self-perception, how I perceive myself, self-fulfillment, what I want, what's going to make me happy. Self-satisfaction is just about everything. In the world that we're living in right now, it just is. That's a context. But here, what Paul's talking about, it's different for you if you're a Christian. This is the reality of how we're to view ourselves as Christians because of who we are in Christ. And, and this is what it looks like, our attitudes, our actions, our, our hopes, our dreams. We're to be sincere and, and, and not manufacturing these kinds of things. This is, these things should just flow from who we are, everything that we're reading here everything we're talking about and have been talking about. They're to be nurtured, they're to be cultivated, they're to be practiced, they're to be lived out because they characterize who we are as Christians. That's a big deal because we're a witness to this world and you need to be strong, we need to be firm, and we need to show forth that love of Christ, that hope that we have in Christ. So everything we're doing here, everything we're looking at should be true of you because if you're a Christian, it is true of you actually, if you are a Christian, if you're truly converted. So this morning as we look at verse 16, again just one verse, live in harmony with one another, don't be haughty but, haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Okay, that is just the one verse we're going to look at. It's not going to be like last week. This week's going to be almost like three little mini-sermons, if you want to just think of it that way. But they're all connected by a thread, and that thread is that humility that we have before Christ. So try to look for that in, in these commands and in, in, in this, these character, uh, character traits of Christians. So Paul says this, first of all. He says, live in harmony with one another. And that just means that we're concerned with maintaining unity with other Christians. That's a big deal for us. I know there's a lot of disunity. It says live in harmony with one another here in the ESV. Other translations uh, might say be of the same mind towards towards one another. Actually, that's closer to the Greek, be of one mind. But that means that's harmonious. When you're of one mind, you're you're doing it together. You're You're lining up. Have the same sentiment, have the same opinion. And listen to this, all Christians do. We really do have the same sentiment, same opinion. We have that mind of Christ. Now, now we have that um, agreement, not on every point of doctrine, that's for sure. That's obvious. There's, you know, different Christians, you have Arminians, you have Calvinists, you have the Antich- we have all that. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, in that area, when we talk about those differences among Christians, 
we need to have patience. We need to have a charitable spirit. We need to be gracious. We really do, because we want that one mind in Christ to come to the forefront. So Paul even says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 1 through 3, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're united by the Spirit of Christ. We want to maintain that in everything that we do. So we try to be charitable, even when there's disagreements among Christians in terms of some doctrine or different areas of theology. Okay, that's that's. I'm not talking about that this morning. What it comes down to, and here's what I want you to hear, the essence and the essentials, we do have everything in harmony in Christ Jesus because what we have, the truth we have, is based on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all new creations in Christ Jesus. We're not the same people that we were before in terms of our life in Christ, what we think, how we live. It's different because we're in him. We have that harmony. We have that unity. So a result of this, we do, all true Christians, view everything from the vantage point of Scripture. The Scripture's our lens, right? As Before you were Christian, you didn't worry about what the Bible taught, about things you wanted to do. Now everything, if you're a true Christian, comes back to the Word, right? It's the lens of Scripture. That's my worldview. That's how we see things in this world. And so we do think alike because we think like Christ, amen? We have that unity. That's that harmony. Paul says this, live in harmony with one another. That's what he's given to us. And here's what I want you to get at this point and with this point. As Christians, we present a united front to the world. We have that harmony because we're living in a world, and you know this, that is opposed. It's absolutely diametrically opposed to our worldview, right? You know that if you're a Christian right now, you probably have friends or family members that think you're nuts, that think you're off the reservation, that aren't going to speak to you much anymore because you have the love of Christ, because we're not, we're not thinking that way anymore. So we need to be united because there's a world that's opposed to our worldview. It's hostile and it's very intense. There's intense opposition, especially right now. The world that we're living in right now really actually demands conformity, that you are going to conform to what we believe. It doesn't matter what your Bible says or what you think as a Christian. Here's what the to them the reality is, and we expect, we demand conformity. We live in a world that absolutely accept, expects acceptance. I mean, true embrace of whatever a person chooses to be and who they are. You just have to accept that and be good with that. We live in a world that denies nearly everything we believe and know to be true from Scripture. That's the context that we're living in, man. That's what it is. That's where we find ourselves. And this is where we need that harmony, that one mind as Christians. Harmony is not just living in peace with one another, but it's standing together, resolved on speaking and living the truth in this world. It means proclaiming the gospel. You need to proclaim the gospel with boldness. It's not bringing the world into the church through compromise, right? And that's what we're seeing so much of today. The world's coming into the church through compromise. What do I mean by compromise? A watered-down gospel, cheap grace, critical race theory, LGBTQ indoctrination. That brings discord in the church. That breaks up the harmony in the church. By the way, somebody was asking me, well, Pastor, what do you mean by cheap grace? Do you know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is 
terrible. It's cheap. It goes back on the way back, but Bonhoeffer talked about it. Um, but it's really this. And it's very, it's very prevalent today. And I want you to be careful. That's why I'm going back on this and trying to answer this question. What is cheap grace? Cheap grace is that which teaches and preaches forgiveness without requiring true repentance of sin or obedience to Christ. It means that you could say Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior, but he's not quite my Lord yet. It's professing Christ without true change in your life. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. And yet we have churches preaching this kind of cheap grace. Raise your hand. Pray a prayer. Walk forward. Say this. Say that. But then go and live any way that you want. See, cheap grace is trying to have it both ways. You can't do that. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're either for them or you're against them. You're either sowing or you're scattering. That's it. That's the Christian life. Our obedience is to Jesus Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not quite my Lord just yet. No obedience required. No obedience is required. Do you understand that? Because we're getting to the place where you're seeing the logical outworking or conclusions to that way of thinking of cheap grace. You can live in ways that are just antithetical to Scripture, just opposite of Scripture. Well, I'm a Christian. You're not. If, you, if you're living this way, if you're choosing to live in open disobedience, can have all kinds of illustrations. We could talk especially with the LGBTQ coming into the church, homosexual marriage, all that stuff. But I do want to read. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to read to you just how far, how outlandish this is, how far it's gone. And I thought when I saw this story that it was a Babylon B, because I said, this can't be. This can't be. But it is. But this is a result of that cheap grace that destroys that harmony, that oneness of mind. And I want you to listen to this. So a woman says, I'm a proud Christian porn star. Not a joke. Not a joke. I wish I was. God put me on this earth to enjoy sexual pleasure. Yeah. A Christian OnlyFans star says she feels more connected to her faith since she kickstarted her career seven years ago and now believes God put her on earth to help liberate other women from their sexual shame. Goes on to that. Her name, Courtney made this declaration during an interview in the Daily Star on Sunday saying, God's message has been abundantly clear. I'm here to be a porn star. This is my way of serving. Again, this sounds like Babylon B. Or you could, this can't be true. The mom of four previously worked as a high school teacher, but found her life lacked meaning and her spirituality was suffering as a result. Before I left teaching, I felt super disconnected from myself and also from God, the Los Angeles-based teacher recalled. I didn't know what my life's purpose was or how or how I was meant to help others. So she founded this with the support of her husband. And then she just goes on to say, um, Now I reject any teaching or institution that depicts God as an entity to be feared or to be judged by. God is loving, not fearful, and accepting, not judgmental, she declared. We are not meant to suppress or deny the things like our pleasure in sexual expression, the content, the content creator added. Instead, we're meant to enjoy and embody them fully as God has intended. I hope this is a joke. I hope I'm proven wrong. But, but you see, that's, that's the result of cheap grace. That, that's the logical conclusion of cheap grace. You could say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm just living in open rebellion and sin. You can't have that. You can't do that. But see, that's, that doesn't bring harmony. That brings the discord. So do you understand when I talk about this harmony? Paul says live in harmony with one another. Of course we want to have good relations and, and, and 
peace with each other in that way, but we really want to make sure that we're of one mind when it comes to the world. You know what I, that's, that's, it's not bringing the world into the church through compromise, but it's bringing the word into the world. And it means taking a clear and bold stand as Christians, pressing the demands of the gospel. You press those demands of the gospel. Don't water it down. Don't just say, raise a hand. Oh yeah, if you like, no, you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell. That's what the Bible actually teaches. But praise be to God, there's one who died for sinners like you and me. And if you truly repent of your sin, if you truly believe that Jesus lived, died, was raised on the third day, if you confess his name, then you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And then you start living your life for Jesus Christ. You're no longer yourself, your, your own. You belong to him. You understand that? So we have that peace. We have that one mind. Every true Christian, here's that, every true Christian everywhere knows that there's only one way of salvation. Right? You know that there's only one way. You know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Everybody knows that. Every true Christian, every truly regenerated Christian knows that marriage is between one man and one woman as God has ordained. We know that. Right? That's the harmony that we have as Christians. We know, every true Christian knows that abortion is murder. Every true Christian knows that you cannot live the way that you used to live before Jesus Christ. We live in harmony. We're of one mind, and we want to do what Jesus commands. Not only what he commands, but what he demands of us. We long to do that. That's that harmony. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Are we doing that? We have that. There's a concern for unity. But then he goes on and shows a concern for others. Again, which calls for humility. He goes on to say this. He says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty but associate with the lowly. Again, this is another aspect of who we are as Christians. You could have been a big jerk before you were converted and just mean. He changes that. He changes us. We're not to be haughty. We have been, listen, if you're a Christian, we have been exalted to such a high position in Christ. We have been saved. And do you know what we have? Do you know that we are exalted in Christ Jesus? We've been raised with him. We've we've gone from death, man. We were dead before him, and now we're alive because of Christ. We've gone from being steeped in sin to salvation, from being enemies of God to children of God. See how high we're exalted in him? You were on your way to hell, and now he's preparing a place for you in heaven. That's That's the joy. That humbles us. That humbles us greatly as Christians. So no matter who we thought we were, we know that apart from Christ, we deserve nothing but his wrath. So that means this. When Paul says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lonely, that means there's no room for you, Christian, for arrogance, for pride, for conceit, for scorn, for others, especially other Christians, but others in general. That word haughty, hoops a loss, that actually means lofty. It means high above, like sitting high and looking down on others. And that just equates to pride. Proverbs 21.4 tells us this, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. So you know what a haughty person does? And if this is you, you better repent. You better ask the Lord to please forgive me, bring me down, humble me. Because what a haughty person does is he looks down on others, has little patience with those who are not quite as, you know what I mean? Not quite as smart as I am, not quite as good as I, not 
as far along as I think you should be. Not as sure about things as I am. And so there's that, there's that kind of um, looking down on others. And so a haughty person says, don't you be haughty, Christian. You're a Christian. You, 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 you never make people feel less than adequate or intimidating. That's what haughtiness is. It intimidates. It's condescending. It's patronizing. It's impatient. It's contemptuous. You know, really doesn't like it. I just can't have no, can't stand that person. It's the height of pride and the height of arrogance. But Paul says, you Christian, don't you be like that because that's not who you are in Christ. Don't be haughty. And we're not because every true Christian knows the gift that you received is from the Lord. Everything you have is from God. What is it that you have that you haven't received from him? So the intellect that gives you understanding, the wisdom that gives you insight, the natural abilities that makes you an exceptional athlete, they're from God. You know that as a Christian. Before you're a Christian, oh, I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm just all that. No, you're not all that. The Lord gave me this to, for his glory and to use for his good. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, look, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? What is it? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it, as if it's all me, as I'm cool, I'm doing this myself? No. This takes the pretense that it's something about you, that it's something in you, that it's something from you, and there's no room to boast. That's why Paul says, don't you be haughty, but you associate with the lonely. And that's what humility does. That's what every Christian should do. That's where our mind should be. It takes notice of where people are at and understands that, and then compensates. It shows respect, it shows sincerity, and it shows all due honor to image bearers of God. It never takes advantage or makes people feel less than or patronizes. No, it doesn't do that. Like even, even with our enemies, and there's going to be people in your life, if you're a Christian now, you can see things differently, they're going to they're gonna be hard to you, and there's going to be the idea like, oh, no, you just don't know what I... No, 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 we never do that. We always remain humble and respectful. And we still continue to love them with the love of Christ. It's not ashamed or embarrassed to be seen with certain people. I'll never forget in Topeka, Kansas, we had a homeless man named Tom. I mean, really homeless. He was living out of his truck. That was it. That's all he had. And he was kind of known. He's a professing Christian. I knew him. I liked him. I think he's truly converted to me. We love Tom. But he was just an outcast. He was that, that, that type of person that you didn't want to be seen with. One time we took him to the um, Golden Corral. They don't have those anymore, do they? Or not many. Took him to the Golden Corral, and you wouldn't believe. I mean, here's a homeless person who hasn't eaten in a long time, and he was eating, you know, he was eating the way he was eating. But you would not believe the stares, the turning away, the looks of disapproval. See, humility is not afraid to be seen with certain people. And it's not concerned to be seen with the right people either. Do you understand that? We have to be really careful about that because that's that's haughty in that way. Jesus Christ associated with all kinds of people. It didn't matter. The intellectual elites to the little kids. So he could be in the, in the room full of the elites talking theology or on the ground with the kids playing with them. From the elites to the children to the outcasts that nobody would touch, that nobody would look at, that nobody would go near. That's where Jesus went. That's our model. He doesn't show partiality, and we can't do that. He never pit the rich against the poor, the strong against the weak, the smart with the not-so-smart against the not-so-smart, the ethnic. He never did that. 
And by the way, do you know this? Haughtiness, let me tell you this real quick. Haughtiness is an equal opportunity sin. And I don't think it's just certain people. It doesn't necessarily depend on status. You know, there's a lot of people that I know that are really street smart. They might not be book smart or intellectual, but they're really haughty towards those that are book smart, right? Now, they look down on them. Oh, they just know that, but they don't know what life is really like. There's a lot of poor people that are very haughty, and they justify their anger or their their covetousness or their accusations because they're haughty, because they look down. All right? Be careful about that. It's not just like, oh, there's certain people that are highly intelligent, highly educated. I don't know. We can all be haughty. When I was in high school back in the 80s, we had, we had the, it's going to sound silly to some of you, but some of you are going to get it. We had the jocks, the hoods, and the nerds, right? And so, so I was like, so the, 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 the athletes who were the popular ones, and everyone wanted to be, oh, they're the, no, 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 no. The burnouts, they did, they hadn't, they had, they would look down on those phonies, on those guys who thought, and they, they had no place for them. They were very haughty towards them. Right? And the jocks looked down on the hoods because they were just the burnouts, whatever, so they looked down on them. And the nerds just looked down on everybody because they were smarter than everybody and they just had you down there anyway. But, but you see, haughtiness isn't categorized to wonder. It's in our hearts. You're not like that. Paul says, do not be haughty, but associate even with the lowly. Understand? This is who you are in Christ. Don't try to do this. This is who you are. This is, this is what's, this is who we're expecting. And if you're not, that's a subtle sin that you're harboring in your heart that you need to confess and you need to repent of. Right? If you harbor that high, if you look down on people, well, I'm not going to be, I don't want to be seen with that person. I want to make sure I'm seen with these people. Oh, this person doesn't know it. No. You got to repent because you're being haughty, and that destroys the unity. Finally, one more. It says, you can get a lot out of one verse, huh? Repaint, I'm sorry, uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And then finally, never be wise in your own eyes. Never be wise. And that's very, like, there's a concern for unity, a concern for others, and it's never, the Christian life is never about promoting yourself. It's never about having people say, oh, you're so wise. Oh, look at you. It's never like that. Again, there's a humility. It runs through this. It's never, as in never, ever, even for a minute, be wise in your own eyes. Don't think too much of yourself, because you know. Now listen, I want you to hear this. This is important because we live in a world that's diametrically opposed to this teaching here. Right? The world teaches a person is to view themselves as wise. They're taught from a very early age to be wise in your own eyes. Just the opposite of what Paul's teaching here. Right? You are to think everything about yourself. You're the greatest. You could do everything. You could do anything. You could be anyone. I remember the time this wasn't really the case, but even as I was growing up, kind of like in the mid-70s, this whole idea of the self-esteem movement started to take hold, and it really got chugging along in the 80s, if some of you are with me, and into the 90s. Now it's just the way that it is. But that's that's really where this idea started, that you're wise in your own eyes. It goes against this. You know what's best for you. Oh, 
You know that the answer is inside of you. Do you understand? Now, the logical conclusion of the self-esteem movement is that it, it exalts you. It exalts you. And it's resulted in individualistic, expectant, demanding, spoiled, narcissistic people that have come, that are coming of age. Some of these people, some of these kids never heard no once in their life from their parents. They, ne- they never, they never heard, no, 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 you're not correct. You're wrong. They never heard that. They were never properly disciplined. Oh, Johnny's hitting mommy. Johnny's making, oh, that's so cute. He's just playing. They don't know. They have that, they've not been disciplined that way. They never experienced consequences. By and large, you know I'm generalizing, but by and large, this is the way it is. This is the way it's been. And now we're seeding the, seeing the fruit of that. And that's being wise in your own eyes. Oh, they know. That's what seems right for them. Proverbs 3, 7 tells us this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 21.2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. We think we're so smart. We think we really know, but God is the standard. Then Proverbs 26.12, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Because you see what that produces? And this is the context we're living in right now as Christians. We're experiencing these things. We have to deal with these things. It's produced what you see today, especially with Gen Z, but all all the generations, you know, finding this wisdom in their own eyes and this liberation. But especially with Gen Z, you see that. It's Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's another way of saying, look, There's no authority. I'm doing what's wise, what's right in my own eyes. So wisdom, and check this out, wisdom is what's right for that person at that time. Whatever they think, but especially whatever they feel is right, well, then that's the wise thing to do. Right? Logical outworkings, logical conclusions. You could see the connection, I hope, to the trans movement. All right. So now, so you have these kids who are doing what's best, what's wise in their own eyes. This is how I feel. This is what I want. That's that wisdom of being wise in their own way. So, so you hold it. Kids know what's best for them. We see it in our world today with the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the world's wisdom. That's being wise in your own eyes. And it sounds good and it sounds fair, but it's utter foolishness and it's ultimately very dangerous. Do you know that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion is very, very dangerous ultimately? Why is that? Because it lets people be wise in their own eyes instead of true wisdom being brought forth. It places people in positions they have no business being in. That's what it does. Not gifted, not called, not qualified, and yet because people feel like it, because they want to be here, well, then we're going to put you in this position. That's that's not wise. It's it's not that's being wise in your own eyes. And again, this I keep saying it's the logical conclusion when you play it out, when you let it go. This is where it ends up, and this is where we're finding ourselves today. From store managers to school teachers, from executives to engineers, from doctors to airline pilots. It's a scary thing. The consequences are real. And I know that much of it's centered around ethnicity, much of it's centered around gender. But the bottom line is this, and this is the whole wisdom idea, that the standards are lowered. 
The standards must be lowered because people aren't competent. People aren't called. People aren't gifted. And yet they're being placed in these positions. So what do you do? You have to lower the standards to, to bring them up. The expectations are lowered. That filters down to reality. It has real-world effects in performance, accuracy, professionalism, safety. So you have store managers. Well, I feel like being a store Well, you're not competent. You're not equipped to be a store manager. You could be a worker over here, but I want to be, okay, we'll make you a manager. And what happens to that store? I think it's done. <laughs> it just goes down. Oh, but that's okay. We'll just, we'll, we'll close this store. We'll move you to another store. That's what happens. There are people that won't fly on certain airlines because of this, because we're bringing people in that aren't called, that aren't qualified, that aren't competent, but we're going to do it. See, that's the wisdom of their own eyes. I'm digressing, I know, but that's the idea here. That's what this kind of wisdom, to be wise in your own eyes, that's what it looks like. And this is the result. Paul says, never be wise in your own eyes. For the Christian, we're not wise. Our wisdom our wisdom comes from God. Our wisdom is contained in his word. It has, that's where it is. We, we don't look inside ourselves. We don't look to other people in other places. Our answers are from outside us, and they transcend us, and we look to the Lord. That's where our wisdom comes from. It comes from his word. What we think as Christians, the counsel we give, the wisdom we share, is rooted in the word, not in the world, and not in ourselves. Because when you root it in yourself, when you root it in the world, the culture around you, you end up with DEI. That's what, that's a logical conclusion to that. If you want true wisdom, it has to be rooted in God's counsel. Is it wise to do this? Is it wise to have somebody who's not come? What's the Bible say? What's the scripture say? God has given each one of us gifts, talents, abilities. It's wise to line yourself up where your gifts, talents, and abilities lie. And that's cool. Whether it's flipping burgers or flying an airplane, whatever. That's, that's okay. Because you're doing what God made you to do and he's designed you to do. That's wise. That's wisdom. We're not wise in our own eyes because our wisdom is derivative. It's not unique with us, but it's from him. And it's a wisdom that leads to righteousness and that glorifies God. So when he says, don't be wise in your own eyes, never be wise in your own eyes. Because we know our wisdom comes from the Lord. Not being wise in your own eyes sounds so bad today in this world because everybody knows what's right for them. I think this is right for me. Why do you think this is right? Because it makes me feel good. Because this is what I want to do. Because here I, See, that's the world's wisdom. And that leads to destruction. It leads to pain. I mean, there might be momentary joy for a time, but ultimately it leads to bad places. So people are never happy. They're never going to have contentment. They're never going to have deep down joy. They're never going to have just that hope that you have as a Christian because they're always searching. They're always looking. Well, I'm thinking of something better. Well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You understand? Wisdom comes from the Lord. So not being wise in your own eyes means that you can look at yourself with a fair, sober, correct assessment of your gifts, talents, and abilities, judgment of yourself, Right? Your limitations. You know what the Lord's given you? We're living in a time where nobody has any limits. Well, you know what? We do have limits. You can do certain things. Other things you're going to try to do, it's not going to work out because you're not gifted in that area. It makes sense. It gives order. And it gives all glory to the Lord. So that's why we said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Do you see the humility involved in all of this? All these issues? To maintain that unity to not be haughty, to not be wise in your own eyes. We live in these days that everything is against these very things that we're talking about here. That's why as Christians we need to 
we need to every day remind ourselves that this is our reality. That I'm not, my wisdom comes from God. My humility, I'm going to treat you the way God treated me and he demands that we treat others in that way. Doesn't mean you have to, have to accept the sin or go along with them. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But you do need to, as image bearers of God, not have a haughty spirit, not write them off, not shout them down, not argue them out of the room, but actually listen to them and come forth with the true answers, but in a loving way. And then that unity, we need to have that in this world. That one-mindedness, not just in the church, of course we need that, but especially in this world. We can't let that false teaching come into the church. You can't say that, okay, yes, this is what I did in my previous life. I was a drug addict in my previous life before Christ came in. Christ comes in, changes me. Great, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I'm still going to be a drug addict. That doesn't make sense. That's not who we are in Christ. You should be seeking obedience. That's what, and, 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 and we, as God's people, pressing the demands of the gospel, being of one mind, not, not, not letting the world in the church, but bringing the gospel to the world. That's what he's talking about here. When he says, do not be, I'm sorry, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise. In your own eyes. As Christians, we're concerned for unity grounded in the truth. We're concerned for others as we show respect and give honor and show grace. And we know where true wisdom comes from. It's not from us, but it's from him.